Hi everyone. It's good to be able to share with you on this first Sunday of 2021. It's a strange new year. I don't have some of the same feelings that I usually have at this time of year, and that's probably because I don't feel as if I really had a 2020. Somehow I feel that I lost a year of my life. I'm sure that some of you can identify with that. Also, while on the 1st of January 2020, we could never have imagined what the year would bring, as we begin 2021, we can imagine, and it's not particularly pretty. We do hope that at some stage things will get better, but we also know that it's probably going to take some time. As I thought about New Year and this sermon, a particular passage of Scripture came to mind, which I think will be most helpful to us as we start a new year that already contains darkness and sorrow. It comes from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 to 13. The writer says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. This is God's Word. I don't know how many of you are into running. I have a friend who, when it comes to the topic of jogging, likes to quote Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 8, which says, The wicked run when no one is chasing them. 
Many people think of the Christian life in terms of a nice walk, but the Bible consistently uses the imagery of a battle, of a wrestling match, of a long-distance run. The Apostle Paul must have been something of a jogger, because he often uses the picture of a race in his letters, and the anonymous writer to the Hebrews must also have gone for the occasional run, because he, or she, I fondly hope that the writer was Priscilla, also picks up on the idea of the Christian life as a long-distance run. And in these verses, which contain so much, the writer describes at least five things that we are to do if we're to run well in the year 2021. Firstly, if I'm going to run a good race in the year that lies ahead, I need the encouragement of others. The writer begins this passage by saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, you will know that in the chapter before this, in chapter 11, the writer gives a long list of heroes and heroines of the faith. People like Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Samson, David and Samuel who, as he says, through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. I think it's vitally important to remember that near the end of the passage he also speaks of others, who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. And all of these people, he says, were commended for their faith. And so now in chapter 12, when he speaks about this great cloud of witnesses, He's not speaking so much about them looking at us, although they may well be, but rather about us looking at them. These men and women are meant to be an example and an encouragement to us. Growth in the Christian life never takes place in isolation. We cannot grow on our own. God designed us to grow together in community. And so I want to urge you in this new year to get connected with others. This is tricky at the moment, but it's also an opportunity for us to get creative. You could join one of our online Zoom Bible studies or even start one of your own. You could listen to the online service with your family. You could arrange to phone a friend every Sunday after the service just to discuss what you've heard and to share your concerns and pray together. Verse 12 of this passage is actually a quotation from Isaiah 35. When the writer says, Strengthen the feeble hands, he's not calling on us to do this for ourselves, but rather to do it for others. 
The full quotation from Isaiah 35 reads as follows, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come, he will come to save you. In this new year, let's commit ourselves to encouraging one another and building one another up, as in fact we are doing. If we're going to run well in 2021, we are going to need the help and the encouragement and the support of others and be an encouragement and help and support to others. Secondly, if I want to run well in 2021, then I need to put off everything that trips me up. In verse 2, the writer speaks about two things that will trip us up. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Firstly, then, the writer speaks about the unnecessary, everything that hinders. I need to get rid of everything that is unnecessary. A normal marathon is covered in just over two hours nowadays, but at the 2002 London Marathon, one competitor set a world record, not for the fastest time, but for the slowest time ever. Lloyd Scott of Essex completed the marathon in five days, eight hours, 29 minutes and 46 seconds. Why was that? Well, he completed the course dressed in a full old-fashioned diving suit, including that huge bronze helmet and weighted boots. Now, let me ask, was all that gear necessary? No, of course not. Lloyd Scott was actually raising money for charity to combat cancer. But you know, some of us run the Christian race and we wonder why we don't make much spiritual progress. And the reason is actually simple. We're carrying too much weight. What is a weight? Well, a weight is something that's not necessarily wrong. It's just not necessary. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. There are some things in life that are not necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. And a weight can be all sorts of things. It could be a relationship. It could be an expectation. It could be an activity. It could be a club. It could be a memory that you refuse to let go of. It could be a fear. It could be a job. It could be spending too much time on Facebook. None of those things are necessarily wrong. They are simply unnecessary. And they keep us from growing spiritually. And the writer says here that we're to let go of the unnecessary. And so let's just think for a moment, what are some of the things that are taking up too much of my time and preventing me from running the Christian race flat out? Let's ask God to reveal those things to our hearts and to our minds. And then with his help, won't we let go of that even today? Secondly, in terms of things that trip me up, the writer speaks about the ungodly. I need to get rid of the ungodly, the sin 
that so easily entangles. Those of you who are athletics fans will know that the greatest athletic race in the world is the 100-metre sprint. Many of you will remember the great moment at the 1988 Olympic Games when Ben Johnson broke the record for the 100-metre sprint. He finished the race in 9.79 seconds. But just 72 hours later, the Olympic officials walked into Ben Johnson's change room and they took away his gold medal. He'd tested positive for taking steroids, and so he was disqualified. I was reading up about Ben Johnson recently, and I discovered that after those games, he returned to athletics. But in 1993, he was found guilty of taking drugs again, and the International Amateur Athletics Federation banned him for life. Today, he lives in Toronto. His income is a few hundred dollars a month, and he's still training for races that he will probably never run. He was tripped up by the ungodly. And folk, we know the things that can trip us up. I'm so glad that the writer speaks about the sin that so easily entangles, because it does so easily trip us up. But it's important to see sin in the correct light. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts that God arbitrarily lays on us. They are things that trip us up and prevent us from reaching our full potential, prevent us from becoming all that God calls us to be in Christ Jesus. The sin is something that breaks God's heart and affects our relationship with him. And so the writer says that we are to get rid of those things. The Apostle Paul in one of his letters speaks about putting sin to death, doing whatever we need to do to get rid of things that will trip us up in the Christian life and may even disqualify us. Perhaps there are things in your own life that you've been struggling with for years. May I encourage you in the days that lie ahead to speak to just one other person about what's going on in your life. Maybe a more mature Christian, maybe even a professional Christian counsellor, May 2021 be the year in which you get rid of the sin that so easily entangles. If I want to run well in 2021, I need to put off whatever trips me up, both the unnecessary and the ungodly. Thirdly, if I want to run well in 2021, I will need to persevere. The writer says in verse 1, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In the 1968 Olympic Games in Mexico City, John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania finished the marathon over an hour after the winner had entered the stadium. In fact, everyone else had finished long ago, and even many of the spectators had gone home. But he finally entered at the far end of the stadium, pain hobbling his every step, his leg bloody and bandaged from an earlier fall. As he crossed the finish line, the small crowd roared out its appreciation. Afterward, a reporter asked the runner why he'd not retired from the race, since he had no chance of winning. The quarry seemed confused by the question. Finally, he answered, my country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. 
they sent me to finish. That gives me cold shivers. In the Christian race, God is far more interested in how we finish than how we begin. God is more interested in how we finish than how we begin. Maybe sin has indeed entangled you. You've messed up and you feel it's all over. But it's not over until the day we stand before the Lord Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We might not be able to go back, but we can go forward with a fresh commitment to love and serve him. There's a wonderful promise in the book of Revelation where Jesus says, To the one who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And so let's keep going. Let's keep on doing the daily disciplines of reading God's word and praying to him and worshipping him. Let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fourthly, if I want to run well in 2021, I will need a single-minded focus. Verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. One of the reasons I enjoy talking about the Christian life as a race is because when I was in high school, I was quite a good athlete. My favourite distances were middle and long distance. You may not be aware of this, but at the moment you are listening to the champion of the Queen's High School cross-country marathon, 1988 and 1989. (laughs) One of my favourite races was the 1500-metre race at our school's athletics day. And I can remember one year in particular. My main rival, Brian Jardine, had won that race for a couple of years. Earlier on in the day, he'd just beaten me in the 800 metres, And now he was the favourite for the 1500 metre race. And we set off running, and in fact Brian led that race all of the way. I stayed a little bit behind, around second and third place, and I just kept a steady pace all through the race until the last 200 metres. In an athletic race, you need to reserve some energy for the end, and you always have to make a break. But you have to be careful. If you break too early, then you run out of energy at the end. But if you break too late, then all the other athletes get in before you. And on the last 200 metres of that race, Brian was out the front, looking good, and I started to speed up. And as I sped up, Brian also made his break. But then he made a fateful error. Instead of focusing his energy and his attention on the finishing line, He turned to look behind to see where I was, and as he turned, he was just in time to have the best view of me flying past him and crossing the finishing line ahead of him. That moment will always be imprinted on my mind. The writer says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. He has to be our focus, and for a couple of reasons. Firstly, fixing our eyes on Jesus transforms legalism to love. 
You see, if Jesus isn't our focus, then everything else that we've looked at today can degenerate into mere legalism. We start off the new year and we think, this year I'll have a daily quiet time and I'll put aside the things that trip me up. I'll spend less time watching television and less time watching YouTube. I'll try and deal with the sin that so easily entangles. I'll attend church more often. And it lasts for a few weeks, but then it fizzles out. Why? Because the focus was actually on me trying to be a better person. However, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, and we see how wonderful he is, we see how wise he is, we see his sacrifice for us, and we realize that that is something beautiful, then and only then will we want to spend time with him, reading his word and praying then automatically we'll want to leave things that spoil our time with him. We'll want to work on things that displease him. We'll want to keep him in mind through the day, inviting him into every area of our lives. Looking fixedly at our Lord Jesus Christ changes legalism and rules into genuine love. And secondly, fixing our eyes on Jesus gives us courage and hope, and encouragement. The writer says in verse 2, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ himself has already won the race for us, and is busy working in us, to bring us to glory too. I remind myself that no matter what I'm going through at present, Jesus has already been through it ahead of me. In fact, he's gone through far worse than I will ever go through. And I set him before me as my example. Verse 3, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If I want to run well in 2021, I will have a single-minded focus. As Paul put it, in fact, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Number five, if I want to run well in 2021, I will need to trust my Father. The Christian race is difficult. It involves blood, toil, sweat and tears. And perhaps when difficulties arise, it's easy to complain and think, why me? We can so easily resent the things that are happening in our lives. Right now, in fact, it's easy for us to get discouraged and bitter. And that's what the writer addresses in verses 5 to 11. You've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Now, these verses are really an entire sermon on their own. And we've run out of time to properly examine them in detail. But maybe just to highlight a couple of things. 
The writer begins by gently rebuking his readers and saying, you've forgotten God's word of encouragement. And let me say that in the situation in which we find ourselves at present, it's very easy for us to do the same. We can look for all sorts of help and hope and comfort everywhere else except in the word of God. But when we carefully read God's word, we discover some very important truths. The truth that in this world we will have trouble. The truth that there will be all sorts of terrible things that take place on earth before the return of Christ. The promise that no matter what happens, we're perfectly safe in God's hands. The truth that one day when we die, we will spend eternity with Christ. This is how we set our minds and hearts at rest at the moment. Not through wishing one another the very best 2021, and may all your desires come true, but through careful reading and studying of God's word. And what is the specific word of comfort that the writer gives us? Well, it's the comfort of knowing that God is at work, even in the very worst of circumstances. Again, there's too much to go into here, but notice what the writer says. He's writing to people who are starting to begin suffering for being Christians, and who in the future will suffer to the point of death. In these verses, he speaks about opposition, struggle against sin, and hardships. In other words, these men and women are experiencing a hard time because of living in a sinful world, facing the powers of evil, dealing with their own sin, and being persecuted by sinful people. But notice that the writer doesn't say, you will experience this hardship at the hands of others, and afterwards God will turn evil into good. No, he says, God is disciplining you now, in the present. In other words, there are two things that are going on simultaneously. These men and women are experiencing hardship, persecution and suffering as a result of their actions, the actions of sinful people, the work of spiritual forces and the consequences of living in a fallen world. The pain they are experiencing does not originate with God. And at the same time, they are being disciplined by God. There's no contradiction. What the writer is saying is that God is so powerful and so utterly sovereign that what others intend for evil, God uses for good. As one writer puts it, what hostile sinners mean for harm, God means for good. What they will as hurtful, God wills as helpful. What they plan as destruction, God plans as salvation. What they design as a deterrent to faith, God designs as discipline for faith. God is not a passive observer in our lives while sinners and Satan beat us up. He rules over sinners and Satan, and they unwittingly, and with no less fault or guilt, fulfill his wise and loving purpose of discipline in our lives. That means that whatever struggles we are going through right now, and whatever struggles we will go through in this new year, God is in control of them. Does he send them? Is he the author of them? No. 
Is he in control of them? Will he use them for good in our lives? Most assuredly. Sometimes we get to see that in this life. And sometimes, and in many cases, we will only see that in eternity. And we have to take on trust the promise that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. God is doing us good. Verse 10. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Notice the words, our good, our holiness, our peace, and our righteousness. You see, God is not so interested in our happiness as much as he is in our holiness. That's why sometimes people struggle with the idea of difficulty and suffering in the world. They think that it shouldn't be there because God wants us to be happy. But no, he wants us to be holy. C.S. Lewis pointed out that we want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven. A senile benevolence who, as they say, liked to see young people enjoying themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. But that is not the God that we serve. We have a loving Father, and if we're going through hardships and difficulties today, it means that we are genuinely God's children. It's only fathers who can discipline their children. I've often been tempted to discipline other people's children, And I'm pretty sure that in time past, others may have wanted to discipline mine. But the fact is that only parents can discipline children. If we are finding life difficult at the moment, it's a good indication that we are genuinely God's children. And also the difficulties that we're going through are not proof of God's anger or disapproval, but stem from love. Verse 6, the Lord disciplines those he loves. In this new year that lies ahead, I can fully trust my Father. As we close, let me share one final athletic story with you. Some of you may remember watching the men's 400 metres at the Olympic Games in Barcelona in 1992. The British athlete Derek Redman, the favourite, took off like a bullet and kept the lead for two-thirds of the race when suddenly he heard a pop. His right hamstring had snapped. He pulled up lame, looking as if he'd been shot. He began to hop on the other leg, and then he slowed down and fell to the track. The other runners streaked across the finish line, with Steve Lewis of the United States winning the race. But then Derek got up, and ever so slowly and carefully, he started hobbling down the track. Suddenly, a man vaulted over the railing next to the track, dodged a security guard and ran out to Derek with two security people running after him. That's my son out there, he shouted, and I'm going to help him. And he did. 120 metres from the end, Derek's father took him in his arms and together, arm in arm, father and son struggled toward the finish line. 
Just a few steps from the end, Derek's father released his grip on his son so that Derek could cross the finish line by himself with 65,000 people cheering, clapping and crying. There's a wonderful verse in the book of Philippians that I really love. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I love that. He says that we are to work out our salvation. We have a part to play. And we've spent time looking at that today. But then he assures us by telling us that we are not alone. God is at work within us and he will bring us safely to the finish line. Amen.